Hello, welcome to the Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. My name is Father Peter Musa. My name is Scott Powell. We are happy you joined us today. Yes, if we are um, if we are just uh, living life up here in Boulder, it's like uh, the students left uh, yesterday. yesterday. Well, when is graduation? So there's still some mill- milling about. Graduation was yesterday. No, finals it? ended yesterday. Finals ended Come yesterday. On, it's either today or tomorrow. Yeah, it's either today or tomorrow. But regardless, regardless. Boulder is a much quieter town, it's and a much parking quieter is town. easier to deal so with. So much easier to deal with. Yeah, it's nice. It's I, nice. I, it's not. I mean, I miss our people because our students are the best students. I in miss the world. our people too. They're the but best. But it's nice finding parking. I I'm know. just gonna throw that out there. Even I don't really love them all. I was trying to imitate. I was just no, saying everything that you were saying back to oh, you. Oh, you're just mocking me. No, no, no. But but then I couldn't say anything about parking because <laughs> I have parking spots. Built-in parking. Yeah. Um, Father Peter, we have a quick announcement we got to make. Okay, so if anybody is going to be at the big SLS20 conference, the big Focus National in Conference. In Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona, starting on, I think it starts on December 30th. It's over New Year's. We, the Lanky Guys, are going to be recording live in the Focus Media feed, which is kind of smack in the middle of all of the action. So if any of you are college students or or in ministry and you're going to the big SLS conference in Phoenix, come and check it out. Uh, look on the program. I think we're on the 2nd of January, something Second like that. 2nd of January in the it's middle of the awesome, day. Man. Yeah, right at lunchtime. They said it's one of the best trafficked times to be doing the podcast. Absolutely. So we, we are going to traffic in our podcast there. And so you'll get to listen to that one. But yeah, <laughs> yes. But we would also love to meet you because we'll be hanging out. We'll be there. Um, we are. Yeah. We, we will sign. We'll sign your iPod. It'll be hard though because it doesn't take ink very well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got a. I got. I got your some iPod. graffiti markers. <laughs> or oh no! You know what? I, you know what I have is I have some like diamond tipped um, uh, drill bits. Oh, I could geez. just sign your screen, just like good, perfect. You know, just like just so you'll never forget who I am. I'm glad this is where this conversation has gone. <laughs> well, on that happy note, speaking of Christmas, speaking of Christmas, we're on the Christmas fourth yet. Sunday of Advent. It is the we're still in Advent. I'm not we're getting still, ahead of myself. We're still waiting. We're still waiting. We're still be, trying to be patient. It's hard. Yeah, man. Okay. All right, our first reading today is Isaiah chapter seven, uh, verses ten to fourteen. That is right, King Ahaz. Our second, our responsorial psalm rather is from Psalm twenty-four. The King of Glory comes. The nation rejoices. Um, We had a dance-off to that the other day. Is it every psalm all throughout Advent? Is it the same every week? I don't know. I feel like we've had it a couple times. All right, Psalm 24, verses 1 through 2, 3 through 4, and 5 through 6. With our response coming from 7C10B. It is not the the same one every week. (laughs) Okay. As you were asking. Uh, Our Our second reading is from... Did you say that? No. Oh, you were clarifying the psalm. I was clarifying what the response was from. Thanks. Okay, our second reading is from Romans mm-hmm. uh, chapter 1, 1 to 7. So oh. it's to start us off in the, the Romans. It was the psalm in uh, uh, the the Lord Jesus, King of the Universe Sunday. Got it. Because King of Glory comes, the nation rejoices. All right, our Matthew is from Gospel. Our Gospel is from the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 1, verse 18 through 24. It feels like lots of starts and stuff. Um, Does it? Oh, well, the, the Romans and the Matthews. Right. Yeah, that's fair. That's a couple starts. A couple starts. And we're we're early on in Isaiah too. Yeah, yeah. We it's... are coming directly after the call of Isaiah when he's caught up in the throne room of God. You know what I'm realizing? Talk to me. Is that um, if there was if there was an extensive study that one uh, priest could do f- for an effectiveness in homiletics, it okay. would to be just to study the book of Isaiah because it's just in it's in every season. Mm. It's 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 just constantly in the liturgical cycle. And almost 
exclusively avoided in preaching, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. I mean, it shows up a lot, and you don't hear about it a lot. Right. No, you don't. Which, you know, for good reason. I've said before that I am convinced it's the most complicated book of the Bible, even more than, like, Revelation. Right. I think Isaiah, partially because of, of the span, right? So, so pre- a Syrian revolt, you know, right after, right um, before the northern kingdom kind of gets conquered, all the way through the conquering of Jerusalem, through the coming of the Messiah, even to the end of time. I mean, this is the span of Isaiah's vision and prophecy, which is, it's hard to kind of encapsulate that in a, in a, in a quick narrative. But, be that as it may, we're going to try. You know, what I've found about scriptures is this, is that um, scriptures are kind of like limbus bread. From Lord of the Rings. Okay. And Limbus Bread, at one point, Sam turns to uh, Frodo and he says, you know, there's something about- Sam Limbus- was Rudy, right? Yes. Okay. Just, just to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sorry, gonna, I, you 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 hate all those feral things. I don't hate. They're just too woodsy. Woodsy. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Feral, woodsy. Okay, but but this. I don't is hate it's, them. Let's. Not, the people are gonna get mad. The Grubers again. They're spitting their coffee out of their yoga mugs. Ah. Yoda mug. Yoga mugs. Yoda mugs. Yeah, dude, that's you're taking it to the mat on that one, huh? Yoga mugs. Oh my gosh! Okay. All right, so feral bread. So um, feral bread. Limbus so bread. Limbus bread <laughs> is that is that when actually when you rely upon them for your nourishment, and not other stories, they they have a sweetness that um, not anything can really match. Um, just because he's because Sam turns to Frodo and says, "Hey, when you don't mix uh, limbus bread with lesser foods, it actually has this delight and savor of all foods in a greater way." Really? Yeah. And so, Is it like magical bread? Yeah. I'm sorry for my ignorance on the the, the world of Lord of the Rings. It's magical bread. All right, that's fair. It's elven magical bread. It's not quite the right. Thing to say, probably, but my wife, who is a huge fan of dark chocolate, um, is of the school of thought. And I think it's absolutely true that the more kind of like healthy you eat and the more you sort of let real foods be real foods, the better they actually are. Mm. But I don't like dark chocolate because I'm so used to eating really, you know, sugar-filled light chocolate milk chocolate has all the preservatives and chemicals and all the other stuff that I can't actually taste the real food so that I don't appreciate the realness of the dark chocolate. But I actually went on like a, a, one of those fasts a long time ago and every food that I ate tasted like 10 times better. Like it actually, when you didn't mix it with other stuff or kind of convolute it, it tasted so much better in its truest form. Is that kind of what you're saying, maybe? Absolutely. That's been my experience of scripture as of late. Wow. Is that uh, it's just Well, I'll try not to convolute it. That's what what I bring to the table. Well, yeah, but we'll still mix it with some 80s trivia. Some preservatives. You know, some some Milka. I love Milka. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. So Isaiah, this is the ahas moment. (laughs) I see what you did there. Uh, In the first part of Isaiah, there's there's a couple. So there's a lot of um, oracles and there's a lot of kind of um, high up uh, dialogues, monologues between Isaiah, dialogues between him and God. But there's two major pieces of narrative, and they're both about kings. Mm. One is the story about King Ahaz, which we get here. And then later on, there's another story about a king named Hezekiah, which are are two of kind of the only pieces of narrative in Isaiah in this huge book of, of oracles and prophecies. But so that what I, the reason I point that out is that that means it's actually a really important section. When he slows down to tell you the story of what's happening, um, that's a big deal. So I want to, where we're dropped in is in verse 10 of chapter 7. I want to just look at the beginning of the story because this is actually a really important story, um, not just for understanding the birth of Jesus and the, 
and and how that kind of comes to be, but but making sense of the world in general, Ahaz was not a good king. Let's just put it that way. And he was reigning over the southern kingdom. He's a an, an, uh, descendant of David. And he's reigning over the southern kingdom when before the northern kingdom was destroyed. Okay. But sort of watching over some of the circumstances which led to the northern kingdom being destroyed. Does that make sense? Yep. Some of the bad political choices they made that led to some destruction. Um, we're also coming right after. So when chapter seven comes right after chapter six. Imagine that's that. good. Which, Good. I didn't know that that's the way it works. It's numeric. Yeah, um, I've been it, reading just it's books. It's ordinal. Ordinal. Good. No, see, I pulled that from you. Wow, that's I learned good. it from watching Thanks. you. Thanks. Um, but Isaiah chapter 6 is important because that's the, the great call of Isaiah. I, did I already say that? When he is, he's caught up to the throne room of God, it's where he's like, I, who, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I have no right to be here. And God cleanses Isaiah and actually makes him fit for being his messenger. So it's this moment of vocational call. And then you kind of get immediately what he does first. And so here's what chapter 7 says. You ready? You yep. ready for this? I'm ready for it. All right. When Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, so that's the southern kingdom. He's down in Jerusalem. King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they couldn't overpower it. Now the house of David was told Aram was allied, uh, has allied itself with Ephraim, and so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest were shaken by the wind. So here's what's going on. Um, Israel, the northern kingdom, had allied itself with a country called Aram, and Ahaz is getting rumors and he's hearing all of these um these reports that they're ganging up to destroy him. And so what he is fearing and being told and, and the sense that he has is, oh no, the powers of the world are ganging up and they're going to destroy us. And he is losing a heart and he is becoming afraid and he's becoming scared and he's going to be led to kind of make some bad decisions. And so in this, the Lord said to Isaiah, this is verse three, go out, you and your son, Shear Jazub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct in the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. It, it's Nobody's quite sure exactly where that is, but go and meet the king and say to him, be careful, keep calm, do not be afraid, do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. <laughs> That's how he actually speaks about these two kingdoms that are causing Ahaz and the rest of the nation so much terror. Hmm. He's like, you're terrified of these things, but they are two smoldering stubs of firewood. Why? Because the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramalia, Aram, Ephraim, Ramalia's son, they've plotted your ruin. They've said, let's go down and invade Ju Judah. Let's tear apart and divide it among ourselves. Let's make the son of Tabil king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. So there are powers that are allying against you. They're out to get you. But the Lord says this, it will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus. The head of Damascus is only resin. It's just a guy. He's only a man. Within 65 years, Ephraim, the northern kingdom, will too be shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. They're just people. I am God. I am king. These are men. Do not, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So he's saying to Ahaz, what are you going to put your faith in? Are you going to give in to the fear of rumors and rumors of rumors and wars and rumors of wars, as Jesus will say later on, right. of these things that might take place because it feels like your enemies are surrounding you? How will you respond? As a son of David, I'm asking you to be not afraid. I'm asking you to stand firm. And I'm telling you it's not going to happen because I'm not going to leave you out in the cold. In other words, you're not... 
left alone. You feel isolated. You feel like there's nobody who's going to have your back. But I'm telling you, I'm actually here. And that's where we're dropped in into the narrative that we get right now. And it says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether it be the deepest depths or the highest heights. You want me to prove myself to you? I will prove myself to you. Ask me. for The Lord says in the Bible, you, it's wrong to ask for signs. Don't put the Lord your God to the test, right? right? But here he says, no, I want you to believe me. And I want you to believe me so bad. Ask for something. Let right. me Let me show you how much I love you. But bonehead Ahaz said, no, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Even when he asks me to let him prove himself to me, I won't let him. You know, this is an an interesting moment like where do we allow God to be creative? Ahaz won't. He won't. And this is actually where where the, the disconnect happens so many times in our lives is that is that um, a, a life of piety is a preparation for the movements of God, not the rock itself. So, like, say that one more time. The the life of piety is a preparation for the movements of God, not the rock itself. So, okay. meaning that um, it, I can I can do pious things. I can pray my rosary every day. I can go to daily mass. I can do adoration. I can do my daily devotionals. I can pray novenas. I can do things stuff and stuff but but what it Which is are all good is, is but it's the movement of prayer is to actually prepare to be able to be moved by god in those things mm. in the same way I, and yeah. this is why i always relate it back to the um, japanese tea ceremony okay the tea ceremony is super formal so that the passion of the individual can come out in relationship to the formality of the gesture itself so, because because it's like the other day, one of uh, one of our um, psalmists, uh, one of our cantors, got up and sang the psalm this last weekend, yeah. and it was absolutely one of the most moving psalms I've ever heard in my whole life. Wow! B- because the soul and the whole of the person came out. Wow! And and because we do it all the all the time, and yeah, we're yeah. so super familiar with it that we never we never numb out to it, just mm-hmm. as if that if it's an end just in and of itself. It's like the litmus bread. Lembus, whatever. Lembus, <laughs> lembus spread. <laughs> right, right. So, so whereas Ahaz or Ahaz is yes. is he saying <laughs> like, no, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna use the the things of God against him and not actually act, or even that's taking he probably that might be his intention, but you can even soften it from that of of I mean. <laughs> Put into concrete, I mean, how many times are we afraid of something or we've created something that we are terrified, real or imagined? And in this case, it's actually real. I mean, there really are enemy nations who are out to get Jerusalem. But he's so given into his fear. I mean, how often do we so give into our fear and our um, disheartenedness that even when God shows up, we don't want, we're, we're so attached to our mm. fear. We're so attached to our. Um, sadness or whatever it is that we're not our self-pity yeah that we're not willing so I mean yeah you could you could paint Ahaz in a couple different lights right but I I see the very human side of like yeah we come to those points I come to those points where I'm so attached to feeling sorry for myself or feeling afraid for myself that I don't want to let God in I don't want to be healed of that I don't want to be set free 
And God appropriately responds with sarcasm, which is what a good God does. <laughs> he says, he says, here now, uh, Isaiah says, here now, house of David, Ahaz, is it not enough that you try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Is it not enough that you annoy the people? Now you're going to annoy God as well. I mean, <laughs> come on, man. Like you're just, you're being a bit of a bonehead and he's called out for it, you know, right. in sitting in his own self pity, he's called out. And so. The Lord then comes to this moment. He says, okay, if you don't want to ask for a sign, I'm going to give it anyway, which is sort of the beautiful turn of the story that even when we don't allow God to act in our lives, he nevertheless acts in our lives right. and outside of our lives. And, and you know, the, the ripple effect that's so profound. And the sign that is stated is, therefore, the Lord himself will give you this sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will name his name. You shall name him Emmanuel. Now, there's lots of debate within biblical scholarship and Jewish scholarship about what this actually means. And some point to a son that Ahaz will actually have who does these good things. Virgin can be translated as young young woman, maiden. There's there's some some different options. Betula. What is it? Betula. Betula. Is that right? Yeah. Is that the, the Hebrew? Uh-huh. Betula, yeah. Which, which can be maiden, you know, young woman. And so there is a king that comes after Ahaz who does wonderful things and does kind of bring God back to the people. And yeah, that, that's absolutely true. But what we see in this is, yes, there's an immediate fulfillment. There is a king who's afraid of foreign powers destroying him, and he isn't willing to let God into the picture. And so God will speak to that and he will defeat the enemy powers on our behalf and he will bring a son who is a king, who is righteous, who teaches the people again about God. Yes, that's true. That actually happens within the lifetime of Isaiah. However, that's too small for God because the principles are, I'm afraid of what's out there and I don't trust that God's going to come. This is the place, this is the... um the uh, moment in in scripture study where if you want to learn about proximate and remote fulfillment of prophecy, exactly right. So you have approximate fulfillment, which is actually just right now, versus or the rem- soon enough, soon enough, soon, yeah, soon <laughs> yeah. and very soon, um, because that has to be there. I mean, because God is not a God who's going to go to Ahaz and say, "Let me show you a sign." Oh, by the way, it's going to happen like fifteen hundred years, or no, it's not quite that. It's like three, four, or five hundred years, right? But that's not, I mean, God also works here and now and forevermore. So he's like, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you some solace Ahaz, but the solace I'm going to give you is going to point to something so much greater that is going to come long afterwards, which is, which is the remote fulfillment, which is what we see in Jesus Christ and and Mary. Who's the remote fulfillment of really everything. Right. And I I think that like, that's actually what a beautiful way to encounter Advent. Yeah. Is to say, like, we're, we're, in a, we're in a time and we're like, Lord, I need you to, uh, would you show up for me? It's also the acknowledgement that Jesus is an answer to a question. Right. And, I mean, what is, what is his name? You shall call his name Emmanuel. That's what, what Matthew pulls from in the beginning of his gospel. And Emmanuel means God is with us. Right. Which it's really important to acknowledge that, again, that is an answer to a question. And what's the question? Is God really here? Right. Is he really present? Is he really going to show up in my life? Right. And the answer that comes, the sign that is given is, yeah, the answer is Emmanuel. He is with us. And now he's going to be with you in a way that you never dreamt of. Well, this is the thing is that what's a virgin? A virgin is one who has no potential for a child. Okay. So let's just abstract okay. this out for a second because right. she has not had relations. Okay. And so you say, wow, how could a child come from a virgin? There's no... There's no way for that to happen. Yeah. But it's it's precisely as we look in the circumstances of our own lives, we say, how could good 
possibly come from this? From this, mm. and that's that's where it, that's a, mm. and and Ooh. and so in a certain in huh. a certain way, it's actually a prophecy uh, even now about the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. Wow, man! How could how could life come from death? But this is the thing that I that I find is like, um, is that like here we are and. Yeah, we're being prepared to say the most unlikely graces will come from the things that seem so unexpected, so unexpected, so impossible, impossible. That yes, impossible. Which you're 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 already getting us toward the gospel. Well, I think that's enter. Let the Lord enter in because He's the King of Glory. The King of Glory. Um, Psalm twenty-four. The only thing I want to say about Psalm twenty-four is that Psalm twenty-four, and this is significant. So that we we stitch together the response itself is stitched together of like you said, verse seven, verse ten. So the let the Lord enter. He is the King of Glory. Um, I I think the and I I haven't looked back to the Hebrew or the Greek of this, but. I'm struck just now because I didn't think about this earlier with our conversation just now that the psalm actually begins with the word, let the Lord enter, permit him to enter. It's not simply an announcement that he is entering. He mm. is. He's coming, whether we like it or not. Right? right. But it's also the imperative that you need to allow him to. Please let him enter. He's coming into the world. Right. Will you let him into your life? Yeah. Which is, again, this is where Ahaz is. Right. He's like, I don't think I will. I don't know if I'm prepared to let the Lord. I'm so attached to this fear or my own, you know, um, uh, my own political maneuvering or whatever. Because what's going to get Ahaz into trouble is that because of his fear of this political situation, he will ally himself with groups that he should not ally himself with instead of God and find all the possible things that might save him other than God. Which is what's going to lead to Israel's ruin, right. and so what he will not do is what the what the psalm is asking: Let the Lord enter; He is the King of Glory, not these other kings, not these other political powers or militaries that you want help from. Let the Lord enter; He's the King of Glory. Why? Well, we know that the earth, the Lord's, are the earth in His fullness, and the world and those who dwell in it. For He founded it upon the seas and established it on the rivers. All of these things: Aram, Ephraim, Ramalia, they're all the Lord's. All of the things that you were afraid of, all of the would-be enemies that you have, they too are the Lord's. Right. And that's what the, the psalm is speaking to Ahaz in a certain sense, but also to us. But the other part of context for the psalm, the psalm, the psalm, the psalm. <laughs> is, was believed to be a processional liturgy. So the psalm, psalm 24, the, the context was believed to be a liturgical psalm that celebrated the Lord's entrance into into Zion. So it's believed to have actually been written when composed by David when he brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem to where it would dwell in the temple. The entrance psalm as he's finally bringing the presence of the Lord in the Ark with the, the stone tablets and the manna and the rod of Aaron, the priesthood, the bread from heaven and the word of God as they enter into the temple. This is the psalm that is sung by all of the people. And it's believed that they would sing it every year to remember that moment that God came to our city, that he came to dwell with us, which I mean, what more appropriate of a psalm for the fourth Sunday of Advent as we're preparing for this than Psalm 24. Yeah, I like it. That's like, yeah, let the Lord enter. I mean, I've been praying this, surrender novena. I find it one of the most powerful prayers I've ever done Mm. in my life, actually. I, I bought a big stack of them about a they're very know, French. A m- month and a half ago. They're and, very French. Well, on the front, it's yeah, French. Yeah, I like yeah. it. That's what, how you know it's fancy. Yeah. And then, but it's a uh, F- Father Dolindo Rutolo. 
which, which sounds is, very Italian. Yeah, but it, I'll leave it, that be. <laughs> Naples, Italy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you Naples, go. Some, but like, it, it's like at the core, it just keeps on going. It's like human mm. human wisdom doesn't do anything. It's God. It's like li- literally, it's like let the king is kind of like it's kind of like the same request that um, that God is asking through Isaiah to Ahaz or Ahaz is like is like okay, ask for a sign. Let me let me show you that yeah. I will take care of you. And that's actually where we just we give ourselves in a in a powerful way in a in like this in this beautiful moment of of saying like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna let Jesus do a beautiful work in yeah. me even when it seems like how could this impossible thing happen how could right. the good come out of this seeming Im- Im- impossible thing right right which gets us into, into Romans Paul. yeah. Which is the again the first words of probably what is Paul's most theologically significant letter. Yep. Um. Con, uh, 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 uh. What's the word? I'm blanking on my word. Um. Uh, whatever. It, significant is the only rich, word. dense, consequential. Uh, consequential. I know. I really wanted to say a big word, but now I feel silly because I couldn't think of it. Anyway. Um. So this is how he begins. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, King Jesus, literally called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Um, there's a lot we could say, and then he goes on to explain exactly what the gospel is, but um, this is what's fresh on my mind. Um, I'm, I've been teaching a New Testament class for our students. Um, we have accredited courses now this year, which is really exciting. So Yay. we've been doing that. So we just finished our first New Testament course. And so one of the things, and I'm grading final exams right now, which is hard, but one of the <laughs> things I've tried to beat over their heads, so to speak, is that the idea of gospel, the term itself, gospel, euangelion, which which if you go, you know, on any given Sunday out to, you know, um, any Catholic church anywhere, and you asked a bunch of people coming out of mass, hey, what does gospel mean? I bet the vast majority of people from, you know, Sunday school or RE or whatever it is would say what? What does gospel mean? Uh, it's a book. I think most people would say it means good news. Right? Don't you think? Okay, I mean, I would say, what's the gospel? You'd say it's a book or what does gospel good news. Mean? What does gospel mean? What does gospel mean? Good, good news. news, right? Yeah. Which I've made the case to my students that that tells you absolutely zero. Because it just says, what is good news? Oh, it's good news. Okay. I mean, to say that the gospel means good news is a useless definition. Because what is the news? If news has to have an object, what 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 is it? If I ran into your, you know into your house this morning, like beating your door and like waving a newspaper, like you got to read the news. And then I just left. You'd be like, what, what, what is it? So anyway, um, not to take it too far. Um, but what I've tried to make the case for is to show to my students that the word gospel is an old Testament term. And it's meaning actually comes from Isaiah. It comes from the book of Malachi. It's actually comes from a number of places in the old Testament. Remember in Isaiah, blessed is he blessed are the feet of him who brings good news and glad tidings. Right. And if you if you take seriously what the Old Testament says about euangelion, about good news, about the word gospel, what it says is that Israel is a people who believe that God has abandoned them. They think that God has left. And if you feel that God has left you, what should you do? Well, it says look toward the wilderness. Go to the desert, and in the desert you will see a voice crying out in the wilderness. You will see a messenger whose job it is to prepare a highway for the Lord to arrive in the desert and build a road, make a path to the holy city of Jerusalem where he will defeat all of our enemies and become king. 
That's what the Old Testament says the good news is. It's not generic news. The news is not, oh, Jesus. Yes, it's Jesus, but it's so much more explicit that the the reason we call all four of those books in the New Testament gospels is not because they have some generic quality to them, but because they each tell the story of a people who believed God had abandoned them where God returns, starting in the wilderness, with John the Baptist, crying out, and he makes a road, a path from the wilderness, circuitously up to the north and healing people along the way, all of them culminating in Jerusalem, where he defeats our enemies, which are sin and death, and he becomes king. That's the gospel. So I say that, I bring that up, because when Paul says he is a slave and apostle set forth apart for the gospel of God, right. he is saying to all of you who may believe that God has abandoned you right. or he is not there or he will not show up. Right. Let me tell you the story of what happened. Let me tell you how what was told to Ahaz has now been fulfilled in spades and like you wouldn't believe. Let me tell you the story of how hopelessness and this, these circumstances turned into the greatest thing that ever happened in humanity. I am a slave to that. I am an apostle to that. My life is staked on showing that what didn't seem like it could be has now become. And I'm going to go everywhere proclaiming that. And I'm a slave to that, he says. Oh, that That's is... what I, I'm driven by. I mean, there's a lot we could say about this, this opening lines, but that's the heart of what he's saying. That's what he's presuming on us. That's like, it's, what a powerful way to say I, have, I am entirely converted in my heart. So, you know, I, I've always looked at slave and it, it really, I always struggle with the idea. And I hesitated to say it, but no, doulos no. is in Greek is, it's servant or slave, but it's an appropriate translation. But, but, but this is the thing is that, is that I will serve with the entirety of my being without faltering. That's what it's, 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 it's like. He uses the term obedience right. to describe exactly that. That's right. what he and, says. And it's like, and, and so it's, it's like, we've received this grace yeah. and that like, cause because when you do that, what he as as a slave, as a servant, he's been sent, yeah. and that that's the that's all. I mean, in, in a certain sense, that's like, isn't that what the what like real deep conversion actually is? When you say that that I'm I've encountered something that that there is, it's almost like there's nothing else. That's why that's why Limbus bread yes. and that that idea. I just finished it as uh, the bread. Th- Finished the book. Bread, the book, the Lord of the Rings, <laughs> the the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Like, I just finished it again, and and um, mm. and and it just again, it just struck me. And and this in in like the words of, I feel like perhaps I'm actually going through a new conversion mm. of of saying like, there is nothing but God. Mm. There's nothing but God. Like, like and 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 the word and this and what he speaks to me in the story that he's called me into in the transformation there's there's nothing that that will satisfy in the world but that mm. and that 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 it's absolutely 100% possible to cling entirely with every ounce of your being in total surrender to him um and and that's what total surrender is is to say like here I am everything for you I I'm everything yeah. to you yeah I, I'm I'm everything to you. I'm everything what well, you're every- everything for me and so I will give everything to you yeah so I will give everything to you because what else is there? What I will, and that's, hmm. and that's really where um, I, I just, I just find all of these these echoes of this story of saying like, Lord, where will you show up? Yeah. And to have the 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 experience of saying yes, the Lord will show up. Yeah. Is there anything that that um, 
did you I, I there's nothing else that I want to tell people than that. Mm. Nothing else. Mm. God the, God will show up. Even even if it is far deeper and more difficult and seemingly like like Jesus in in giving his entire life that how would you say a a sprout can come from that? Well, uh, that a virgin can bear child. But that's also the thing, right? God did show up. Yes. I mean, we we can trust in that because it happened. However, we know what it looked like when he showed up. And it wasn't like rainbows and unicorns, you know? I mean, it was actually hard. And he suffered not only for us, but with us. And he teaches us how to tread, to trod that road, that path, the hodos that the gospel proclaims is the early church. Remember the early church before they were called Christians, they called themselves what? People of the way. The way, literally the road. And if you're calling yourself people of the road, like the highway department, right? I mean, what are they thinking of? They're thinking of the Via Della Rosa. I mean, they're thinking of the way of the cross. That's, they're thinking of two things I I propose to you. When the early believers called themselves, before they were Christians, they called themselves the way. They were thinking both of the way of the cross because that is the, the, the road literally that Jesus walked. And they're also thinking probably of the most important journey or road anyone ever traveled in the Old Testament, which was the Exodus, the movement from slavery to freedom. Well, how does God take us from slavery to freedom? Through the way of the cross. Mm. So we will call ourselves followers of the way. Right. Because so, yes, God will show up, but it could still be hard. But well, it can be hard because he already walked it and walks with us. And well, so we have the strength to do it. Well, that's what the gospel is today. Yeah, it, it is. That, I'm getting ahead of myself. Here, here's, it's like, here's how the birth of Jesus came about. Which yep. you could almost read, and I'm, I'm putting words in Matthew's mouth, but you could almost read as this is how the gospel came true. Remember, mm-hmm. gospel is an Old Testament word. You could almost see him saying, okay, this is how all of those things came to be. Right. Here's the story. So then it says Jesus, and, and so Joseph found his betrothed wife with a child. How? Do you remember how he found out? No. The Gabriel. The Ga- the Ga- the Gabriel. Um, there's three annunciations in the New Testament, which I find fascinating. There's the annunciation to Zechariah in the temple that these things are going to happen. There's an annunciation to Mary, the most important one. That she's going to bear a child. And then Gabriel makes a third stop to Joseph and is like, hey, heads up. You should know what's going on. <laughs> And that's the one that we zero in on today. The one where he says, hey, Joseph, you need to know what's happening here because you're going to be terrified. We don't get the interaction with Gabriel. Yeah, she was found we get the fallout through the Holy Spirit. We get the fallout of Joseph. Not the fallout. I mean that in a positive sense. Jo- Joseph's having to deal with what do I do now with this situation. Right. And I just think the emotional stuff that was going on in Joseph has got to be pretty intense. I find Joseph utterly fascinating in this circumstance because here, here's what we know. It says, when his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together. So, so in the ancient world, in, in, the Jew, in the ancient Judaism, marriage was a two-step process, right? So you would have, so we, we tend to think of betrothal as like engagement, which is not true. It doesn't, it doesn't say they were engaged because remember, what does Joseph want to do initially when he finds this out? He divorce her. Divorce her. And you don't have to divorce if you're engaged. Right. So in the Jewish world, um, you would first, betrothal was legal marriage. Like you would have the preparation time and then you would get betrothed, which was to legally be wed. And that's step one, but there would be a time in between the betrothal, the legal betrothal and the time that you came together as husband and wife together. So they're in the intermediate period where you're actually already married, but you're still preparing for this consummation of the marriage. So Joseph is in a real way like, 
oh no. Like it's not just breaking off an engagement. He's like, we're actually married, but everybody knows that we haven't come to the point where we've come together yet. Right. Which means, uh oh, some people are going to get stoned. Literally. I mean, you know, we think of this story in these benign terms of there's going to be embarrassment and we'll be ashamed and people will make fun of us. But what both Mary in in a more acute way and also Joseph are thinking is this means our death. This means they're going to bury us in the dirt and pummel us with stones until we die. This is not just, oh, this is going to be embarrassing and shameful. I mean, Mary's fiat. Be it done unto me according to your word is saying, I don't see any way out of this except death. However, I will trust that your word is good and I will trust that you have another way. And so I will say yes. And then you have Joseph in a similar circumstance who actually it says Matthew goes out of his way to point out Joseph is a righteous man. Which most of us read and we're like, oh, it means he's good, he's kind, he's nice, he's he's upright, right? We we have some generic abstract term that we fill in for righteous. But for Matthew, righteous is a legal term. For the ancient Jews, righteousness is a legal definition. And if if Joseph is being defined as righteous, it means he is someone who follows the law. And what the law says is that there is someone who is found to be pregnant out of wedlock, the law says that they must be stoned. And so it says Joseph is righteous, which to the worldly sense would be, oh, well, you better expose her. You better do something about that. What are you going to do? How are you going to bring justice to this situation? But Matthew means you to read something different into it. No, no, no. He's not just behoven to that law. He's behoven to the part of the law that we haven't fully seen yet, which is God's mercy and the way in which he shows up in the hopelessness of these circumstances. That's who Joseph is. And the fact that Joseph decides to take Mary into his home is not just all right, well, I I concede that something else has gone on here, and so fine, I will begrudgingly do this. He says, I will take upon myself every consequence that comes along with this. I will bring it upon my own head, my own family, my own identity, my own good name. I will take all of it on because I trust in you and in what God has done through you so much. Bring it on. Right. Come into my home. You are mine now. I, I was thinking about this the other day. I mean, the the... I was thinking about the the, the Bethlehem, the, the the census thing, right? The whole Christmas story that Joseph has to go to Bethlehem because Caesar had called for this big census where everyone needs to be numbered and counted. And his wife is nine months pregnant or eight months, depending on when they start the journey. Legally speaking, only Joseph has to go to Bethlehem. And so you have to ask this question, like, why, why would Joseph drag Mary to Bethlehem? I don't think she would have legally been required to go. Only Joseph was. Plus, she's like eight or nine months pregnant. So why would you drag her on this horrible journey down there? And I think, I think personally, the sole reason he does that is that I have taken all of this on and I will not let the Holy Family out of my sight. Mm. And if anything is going to happen to them, they're going to go through me first. So yes, I will drag her down to Jerusalem with me because I am legally bound, but I will not leave them for a moment because I've taken all of it on myself. Right. That shows you... A little bit more of Joseph's character, I think. Because right. Joseph doesn't say a word in all of the scriptures. But he says an awful lot, I think. Yeah. I mean, he, he's just so risky, and yet he's human. And so he goes through. He is human. He, he has goes, to go through this. 
He has to go through all of figure this, this out and like and have courage. I mean, yeah. like it's just it's it, it's just continually very very courageous. And what we read about, like when he says the like when he when I mean even just let's be honest. I mean, you you look at the contrasting reaction of Zechariah, <laughs> yeah. uh, who who's like bah, whatever. I don't know about that. Yeah, he he's yeah. like oh man, like he has to have enough courage to follow a dream. Yeah. I'm so, I'm just saying yeah, I don't yeah, care I yeah, don't yeah, care right. what what age you are in hmm. taking seriously a dream because there's all sorts of kinds of dreams you got no, that's, weird that's psychological reasonable. detritus dreams you got holy dreams and every once in a while when something comes and it's so clear that you're like but hmm. to but to literally follow a dream like we 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 use that that's in like culture. a bumper sticker it's, like, <laughs> it's follow, a coffee you, mug follow your dreams yeah yeah no 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 like when you actually follow a dream something you had when you were slumbering and you woke up and you're like okay. that was a weird what was okay I'm gonna change my life to conform uh, to that to that it's like it's hmm. so courageous even if his his whole interior is going like oh man and totally. uh, in a certain sense it's almost like it's almost like us when mm-hmm. we say you know what I got this really clear thing that I need to do in prayer. And I'm gonna mm-hmm. follow after that, and and I don't know how to do it otherwise. And and, and you, I don't know what the other end of this looks like, I and don't I don't know. see how to get from A to B. Right, and 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 that and that's why, like, I, in a certain sense, I can have pity on Ahaz because a prophet comes to you and says this, a, a, a dream comes to you and says this, and yes. I can I can have pity at the same time. The the opposite of when you have the courage to follow after the guidances of God. How powerful and profound and transformative it is. Who is the direct descendant of Ahaz? Who? Joseph is. Joseph. Who is the anti who is the opposite of Ahaz? Joseph. Joseph is. That's mm. why the church in her wisdom has chosen to put these together, I think. Because as his what great, 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 great grandson, right. he does what Ahaz could not do. He responds where Ahaz to the same thing that Ahaz was given. Mm. But he responds rightly hmm. and with righteousness, as Matthew says. He's the antidote for Ahaz. I'm not going to call him the anti-Ahaz, but the, he's the antidote. It's, he's, the, he's the antidote, which is the, the different thing. I'm still f- afraid. Those, I'm still afraid. But I will let you show me. I will let you give me a sign. Guess yes. what the sign Joseph gets is? The same sign that was given to Ahaz. That's what Matthew says. Right. The virgin will conceive and bear a son. You will call his name Emmanuel. Will you listen to the sign that I'm desperately trying to give you? Ahaz wouldn't. He says, yeah, I'll do it. It's kind of neat. It is. It's actually really, it's just really beautiful. I just, uh, I've been thinking, wow, how special, um, how special is the season of Advent to those Mm. who are in purgatory? Oh, that's an interesting thought. Because uh, like the, the season of waiting and, and, and almost like Ahaz, like here he is, and he gets to see the the powerful, beautiful thing fulfilled. But you know, in purgatory, half the Christmas lights don't work. It's like the <laughs> strand of lights that like half is out because it's purgatory. <laughs> it's still good. It's not. It's not. You know, <laughs> you crazy. Well, You're think crazy. about. <laughs> I love you. You know that strand. I know that like, strand. Oh. Somebody it's called the me the other got. day. Was like, "Hey, can you help me with my strands? I can't get this one lit." And I was like, "Yeah, let me help you." So it's <laughs> like, like a parishioner. Yeah, so it's it's good. That's it's kind of beautiful. We have our own little neighborhood here, and we it's do. good. So, and I'm pretty good with electronics. So. You are, you are at that. 
You guys, thanks for being with us. We wish you uh, a blessed rest of your Advent. We do. And uh, we look forward to talking to you soon. And if you're going to be at SLS in uh, the end of December, early January, we'll see you guys there. Okay, God bless you. See you next time. Bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. And you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.